And the, the job of a founder, a job of a CEO is to collect, connect with individuals, you know, far and wide and collect as much market intelligence as possible, both internal to your company and external to your industry. It's your job to synthesize that information and develop a clear, concise, commercial understanding and, and strategy, and then disseminate that to all of your stakeholders. Welcome to the Chasing Passion Podcast. My name is Dom and I'm your host. Each week, I bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing it. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Just in case you're new around here, in this podcast, I talk to individuals who are following their passion and make a living from it. The guests in this show come from many different backgrounds and my goal is to dissect and understand why they started, how they started, what the challenges were and the lessons they learned along the way. I really believe that it's possible to turn your passion into a full-time career and this podcast acts as a tool to help you along the way. Maybe, just maybe by listening to these stories in this podcast, something resonates with you and it's something that you want to try yourself. Well, speaking of turning your passion into a career, this week we're joined by Devin Hughes. Devin is an entrepreneur who's the founder and the CEO of Buy Me, which is an Irish grocery delivery service which allows users to have their groceries delivered to their door in as little as one hour. You can use Buy Me on pretty much any grocery store out there, including Tesco, Aldi, Little, you name it. To date, Buy Me has raised over 10 million euro in capital. I've been using grocery delivery services for over a year now, and it's truly a game changer. If you are interested in getting your groceries delivered to your door within hours of ordering, please check out buyme.ie or simply just download the app. If you want to connect with Devin Hughes, you can find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and you can do so just by searching Devin Hughes. In this episode, we talk about Devin's failure with his previous businesses and the lessons he learned as a result the importance of having sales and finance skills when it comes to business success, the future for online groceries, and much, much more. If you are looking to support the podcast in a free way, the best way to do so is by leaving a short review on Apple Podcast. This will help me out so much and I really, really appreciate it. So if you have 60 seconds of your time, do you mind leaving a short review? It'll help me out so much. If you find this podcast useful or maybe you know someone out there who might enjoy it, please let them know. It will help me out so much. Show notes for this episode can be found on chasingpassionpodcast.com forward slash 52. So once again, that is chasingpassionpodcast.com forward slash 52. Okay, that's enough of me talking. Thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Devin Hughes. Devin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Don. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So I guess the first question I want to ask you is, can you just provide some context to the listeners about your background, what you've done in the past, and perhaps what you're up to now? Sure. Um, so my name is Devin Hughes. I am currently the CEO and co-founder of Buy Me, uh, which is Ireland's fastest um, growing and also fastest uh, same-day grocery delivery platform in Ireland. Um, a bit about my own background, I uh, it's not technology or grocery, <laughs> uh, surprisingly. So I spent the vast majority of my career uh, working in the energy markets, um, mainly helping large retail manufacturers to hedge and manage their gas and electricity portfolios 
uh, and providing kind of analysis and consult- consultation on, on market events. Um, 2014, I was getting the itch to start another business. By me, is my fifth dalliance uh, with entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. Um, so I've had four spectacular failures that have gotten me into this mess. And yeah, I, I kind of stumbled upon the online grocery market that year. Uh, very quickly recognized some fundamental characteristics that aligned very closely with the electricity industry. Um, and recognized that there was probably going to be a period of significant disruption for grocery one way or another in the online sector uh, within the next decade. Um, very promptly decided to quit my job in the energy sector. I moved into the tech, sp- tech space, um, learned what I could about platform design and architecture. And then uh, over the course of 12 months, built, validated, uh, validated the idea for Buy Me, built the concept and the prototype, and then launched it into the market in February 2016. Amazing. And I, I want to go all the way back because you sound like a very entrepreneurial, um, business-minded individual. And I'd love to know, what were you like as a kid? Um, perhaps, like, what were you interested in school? Did you have any, like, passions? Did you have any, any like, natural capabilities that, you know, you noticed in yourself when you were younger? It's interesting. Um, like, I was always an average student. You know, mm-hmm. I was never, I was always perfectly in the middle. Um, mm. I didn't excel in throughout, you know, primary school or secondary school in, in terms of any specific subjects. Um, and when I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, the the one thing that does stand out is that I was always out trying to, you know, make a few quid. Um, you know, I think I can remember selling toys uh, outside my house on, on, you know, a table, you know, when I was probably about seven or eight. And I can remember then, you know, as I kind of got into my early teens, I would, you know, get the lawnmower out and the and the buckets of and go around to the neighbors and, and offer to cut their grass and do their weeding and their gardening to earn a few quid, you know. I'd give them uh, 10 euros for the front lawn and uh, 15 euros if the for the front and back. Um, they always went for the front and back. Um, and yeah, so that's that was, I suppose, if I think about it, that was they were probably the earliest experiences that I had in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur or going mm-hmm. out, trying, you know, create a service and, 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 and provide a, a great value. Um, and then when I went into university or secondary school, rather, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I still I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I had all sorts of ideas. I've had plenty of ideas in terms of what I might like to do, but I never wanted to get a regular nine to five job. Like I, I, you know, I would have been interested in being a guard. I would have been Mm. interested in being a pilot. Um, but the thing that always, or an archeologist, I was, you know, I was really, really interested in history, but the thing that always kind of veered me away from that was that I didn't like the idea of this limited earning potential mm. you know if you're a guard you know the max you'll ever make if you go to the very top of the guards is maybe 100 grand a year you know if you're an archaeologist you're going to make shit money for your entire life you know if you're a pilot depending on what area you're in you're probably into 150 grand as a as a as a, as a t- top end um, and so for that for me that was always very limiting and i loved the idea that you know if i went off and, and did something by myself that i had this kind of uncapped potential um, I think that was the one thing that always attracted me to to, to, to entrepreneurialism or starting a business. Um, so when I went to university, I, I just decided to do finance um, because I still hadn't decided yet what I wanted to do. But I figured that no matter what I did, uh, having a good foundation of, of you know, financial acumen mm-hmm. uh, would, stand to, would stand to me. Mm, and that's how you chose finance. Yeah, I yeah. love what you said with the income potential because like 
I th- I think yeah. When when you mentioned like you know working in a typical job, like let's just say you're a guard or a pilot or I don't know a bartender maybe. Like your your capacity to earn money is capped, and like no matter how good you are, you're still gonna be earning that certain you know that certain amount of wages. But like let's just say you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, you get paid based on how much value you provide to other people. You get paid based on how good you are, and if you're shit, well you're not gonna get paid. So I think that's yeah. the beauty of entrepreneurship and business. So yeah. I really I really think that's I think the, cool. the, the key the key thing the key difference between being a individual contributor earning mm-hmm. a salary and being a, an entrepreneur or a business owner is that is scale mm. you 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 your value your earnings your you know everything scales off the back of a business whereas if you're just an individual contributor your only earning potential comes from your work and you can't scale past your your waking hours yeah no yeah 100 percent. and you know you said you had four spectacular failures before you started buying me and i love to ask you what what were they so first of all well you finished college in in finance and then you went to work in energy sector so okay no not 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 quite uh, what was the timeline there yeah so it was it's interesting so the latter half of my career kind of i found myself in the energy sector so Mm. yeah i think the shorter answer is probably what weren't my startups involved in because i you know i've been (laughs) I imported electric golf trolleys from China. I thought I spotted a, a gap in the market for a reasonably priced electric golf trolley. I, you know, I, I don't play golf. I know nothing about golf. Um, but I ended, finding myself, ended up importing a container with 182 of them uh, and ended up trying to sell them individually into the pro shops around the country in the middle of a recession. Now, this is like 2010, uh, the worst possible time to be getting into the, into the golf industry. Um, and so, yeah, that was one. I... Um, I started an app development, a website development company with a couple of friends, um, you know, and that really tried to make it go building an infrastructure there. You saw, saw this trend in the app economy. And that was my very first time probably really kind of learning about what's happening within apps and what does that mean for business. Mm-hmm. Um, I got involved in then uh, in an energy company. So myself and a really good friend of mine, Garrett Flower, started a another very accomplished entrepreneur um, we we you know we started our first businesses together when we left college and and one of those businesses was um, East Sound Energy which was a renewable energy investment and operation uh, business but when we started it you know we were just two young lads with no experience um, but we ended up getting introduced to um, a very well known entrepreneur in in the US called Diego Belmonte very very well known in the in the energy space and we ended up merging our business with with his and we ended up spending some time over in the states just kind of being mentored and learning from him. Um, that got us involved in smart LED tech. Um, we did a pre-IPO investment round. That was, again, a first experience of ra- raising capital for a business. Um, and this was all before we were 22. And so when we came back from that experience, um, we tried to launch um, the energy business in Ireland. Um, but again, the recession was just really, really tough. And it was quite, it was the thing about the energy sector is it's very CapEx intensive. So you need large capital um, uh, resources to be able to do anything meaningful. And so we wanted to build a wind farm which was going to cost 10 and a half million euros uh, up front. And it's just, you know, incredibly difficult uh, project to do when you're, you know, fresh, fresh out of college and you just haven't got the network of the experience to, to execute. Um, so after that, you know, that was probably about three businesses in a row. Mm. Um, and then the fourth one was um, a biometric payment system. And that was actually the business that led me into, into buy me. Um, so it was actually called Pay Me, which is not, I'm not very creative with names. <laughs> um, and, you know, the concept for that, that was to build a, bio, a biometric uh, finger vein recognition technology that would allow you to link your fingerprint to your credit card. Wow. Um, and so that you would be able to just use these terminals in retail, you just pay by touch. And now thinking about COVID and how, you know, un, 
you know how he, nobody wants to touch anything and um, <laughs> yeah. tells me that that probably business probably wouldn't have worked but it was again something that we couldn't get off the ground and we, and we decided to move on from it so that was yeah that was a kind of probably the, the the areas in which i was spending my time in and that was probably over the course of about you know five years um and you know from from the minute i left university i just kind of got straight into it um and yeah just a just a rich period of experience i would say and i don't think i would have been able to execute on buy me the way i have done had i not gone through all that before wow so like you were always really going after you know trying to do try to do different businesses try to develop new startups and so on and in a way all the experience led you to buy me but i'm very curious to know so let's just say there's a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs a lot of people who want to start businesses and unfortunately the fact the simple fact is that majority of them fail but i'm curious to know um like from all the lessons you've learned from all the knowledge you've accumulated over the years um what advice would you give to people who have no experience and they want to get into a certain you know industry because i know you, you gave us the example of you and gareth and um, when you went into the energy sector together but you had no experience so i'm curious yeah. to know like what, what would you advise someone who you know wants to get into a certain industry but they're just out of college they have no experience they have no idea what they're doing and they want to make a difference so what what would you say to these people been, been very honest there's mm-hmm. absolutely zero excuse for anybody not to be able to become an absolute expert in their field um like we have never lived in a world of of more free flow information mm-hmm. um you know today i can confidently say i'm an expert in grocery e-commerce last mile and platform design mm. i had no experience in platform design grocery or delivery or last mile for five years ago mm. you know and so when i started by me i was coming from the energy sector now i can sit here and tell you loads of reasons why you know the energy sector has a lot of characteristics and why it works with what i do today but we won't go in, into that much detail the reality is that at that time i had no rec- no reputation and no knowledge of how the grocery market really worked mm. um, and so the way i approached it was you know in 2014 i came across this market i said okay you know and i was over a pint you know someone told me that Devin, did you know the online grocery market in Ireland and the UK is worth nine billion pounds, and it loses three hundred million pounds a year? Wow! So that's the that's the aggregate losses of all of the retailers combined, who are essentially subsidising this channel, and have been for about twenty years. Um, and I said, wow! I mean, a nine billion pound market, like the the residential electricity market, is thirteen billion pounds. Mm. so for not, like a nine billion in just two markets is an enormous enormous transactional volume market and i thought it's so interesting that, that market is dysfunctional by nature um, and again part of my time in the energy sector was about understanding you know the economics of markets you know whether it's geopolitical movements the impact that that has on gas prices how the macro market you know factors play a part um, and i thought this is an interesting sector i might just spend a bit of time reading about it and i spent probably about six months reading every industry report i could find uh, for free on the grocery sector, just learning about the economics of, this, of the sector, the, the players, how cash flow ran across the sector, where margin was made and lost, and really just understanding the mechanics of the, of the, of the industry. Um, and that's something you can do in your spare time, you know, yeah. evenings, weekends. Um, and so I think for anyone looking to get into a sector, you know, there's two ways to approach it. One, think, learn as much as you can for free about the sector before you start to do anything meaningful in it. Mm-hmm. So really take the time to do the research. But then also look at your previous experience, the industry that you are currently in or the areas that you have worked and really think about the application of what you already know and what can you bring differently to this sector. That mm. is the most fundamental thing. And, and every job I've ever had, 
you know, my first job, paid job was working at Foot Locker, selling shoes. You know, um, I've been a waiter in the Hard Rock Cafe, you know, for three years while I was starting those first couple of businesses. Um, and in every single job, I've approached that as a learning experience, you know, whether it was in Foot Locker, learning to upsell, you know, um, like if you're going to buy the shoes, would you like the polish to go with it? You know, and then whether it was working in the Hard Rock where I'm a waiter, I have 40 tables, you know, it's Friday evening, the place is banging. You know, I have to deal with not only multiple tables, multiple orders, and you're multitasking, but you're also dealing with multiple personalities. How do you build very quick relationships with people? How do you build rapport in a fraction of a moment so that someone has a good experience at your table and leaves you a great tip? You know, these are all these skills that you can learn in what what is deemed very low-skill jobs. But the learnings that you get from these experiences are absolutely fantastic. And so every job I've ever, t- I've ever taken, I've always treated it as a, as a learning experience, all the way up until you know, I decided that there was a real opportunity in the sector for grocery. And I left the energy markets and I got a job with the biggest technology platform company I could find, Salesforce.com. And I did a year to the week in Salesforce, learning everything I could about platform design and architecture so that when I, over that 12 months, I was able to build by me and quit my job and start the company. Yeah. So all these experiences lead to, you know, the ultimate goal, really. And, you know, you mentioned skills. You mentioned that, you know, when you were working in Foot Locker, um, you had to learn how to upsell and all these different skills, you know, they combine into who you are now, I guess. So I guess um, for anyone who wants to get into the business kind of things or into the business side of things or entrepreneurial, um, what what skills should people focus on? Because I thought about this. Is business actually a skill? And mm, it's a very broad term because like businesses, like there's a lot of, you have to be good at many, many different things in yeah. order to be a well-skilled entrepreneur. So I'm curious to know like, um, what kind of skills should people focus on um, in order to be successful at business, I guess, if that makes sense as a question. Yeah. Sales and finance. Sales and finance. In, in that order. Right. So depending on where you are in your life, you should, you should get a sales job as quickly as possible. Okay. And, you know, I've done every type of sales. I've done, as I said, sold retail mm-hmm. and I've done telesales and I've done door-to-door sales. Mm-hmm. So I was selling electricity contracts, you know, selling <laughs> electricity door-to-door when I was 21, 20 or something. Um, you know, and the, you've, you've never really sold until you've sold door to door, knocking on people's homes at seven o'clock in the evening. You really, <laughs> really learn a lot about, about personalities. Um, but sales is so drastically important and not just sales, but storytelling. Mm. And, and a lot of people, what I've found incredibly interesting throughout my journey is that sales is often looked down upon. There's always this comment about salespeople. Oh, you're very salesy. You know, and it's, it's typically said with somewhat of a negative connotation. Um, and in actual fact, you will not achieve anything in your life unless you're able to sell yourself, a vision, a service, an idea, a discussion point. And, I, you know, there's so many, like, unless you're able to adequately put across your thoughts and bring people and influence people to come around to your way of thinking, you'll mm. never be able to succeed in anything, whether it's, whether it's starting a business or whether it's, uh, you know, just in, in you know, life in general, you need to be able to bring people on a journey with you. You need to be able to tell stories, you know, that engage people at a human level. Um, and so sales for me is one of the most important skill sets anyone can develop uh, early on in their career. And that's not just because they're going to, they want to be an entrepreneur, but that's if they just want to be successful in life. You know, how do you develop a compelling message and how do you bring someone to your way of thinking? Um, and that'll be valuable to anyone in any setting. 
Um, finance then is, is I think is, is a really important piece. And it's very basic finance. We're not talking about financial engineering. You know, we're talking about just understanding the basics of accounting and being able to come up with a basic cash flow forecast. Simple as that. Every single business I ever started, I would start off by trying to understand the cash flow of the business. You know, because if you have an idea, what you need to understand is, well, what are the costs of the business? What are the margins of this business? Um, what can I, what's my sale price? What can I sell? And, and ultimately, then you start to understand how the business might work. And so every idea I've ever had, I've always started with the with the fundamental financials, which is just building a basic cash flow forecast. So it doesn't need to get fancy. It doesn't need to be all these complicated accountancy terms and jargon. No. Just the basic no. cash flow budget, understanding yeah. business costs. Right. Addition, addition subtraction, and division. <laughs> it, that's it. We're not we're not getting any fancier than that. Yeah. Um, a, ba- a basic Excel course. Mm. like very, the, the most basic of excel courses is enough for you to be able to learn how to build out a, a financial forecast mm. uh, a basic financial forecast you can get super fancy and you know buy me you know i built i spent three years building our financial model um and in 2018 realized jesus this model is not making any sense anymore the business has become way too more way too complex and then i hired in a cfo who's come in and completely revamped our financial modeling and forecast and it's now a very complex tool but in the very early days it just was just simple addition subtraction and division and that's all you need in the early days is just to understand the economics of your business. Um, and so I would, I would urge everyone to spend a bit of time just, just picking up some of the basics. Wow. And I can really see how Buy Me came into existence because you're studying finance in college. You're doing sales by selling electricity door to door, getting uncomfortable rejection, I think. And yeah. look, look where I led you now. So I think, that, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, comfortable rejection. That's a really good point, actually. And that's that's exactly what a lot of sales is. It's been told, absolutely not. Please don't ever call me again. Yeah. Or in, in some cases, get away from my door or I'll mace you. Yeah. <laughs> Which has happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a such good skill to develop. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, you're doing... Okay, so Buy Me is doing extremely well. You've, you've raised over... Is it 80 million at this stage? Um, no, no, not 80. So we have raised... Um, I think ten and a half million to date. Ten and a half. Sorry, I got my. Um, That's okay. Um, but yeah, and what's the goal now? What's the future? Um, where you where? What's your vision for it? So I mean, look, our ambition is to be the the largest grocery uh, shared grocery same day delivery infrastructure for Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to start with Ireland, UK. So we've been in Ireland four years. Uh, we've developed a tremendous brand here. Uh, we're the market lead, um, and we're the fastest growing um, uh, consumer platform in Ireland. And we have now in the last four weeks launched into the UK and we're now beginning expansion to the UK market. And we've just launched our first city, Bristol. Um, and we have signed, you know, uh, multi-year deals with the likes of Lidl. Uh, we serve as Tesco and we also have signed a partnership, uh, announced a partnership with Co-op in, uh, in the UK. And like, how does the actual business work? So you get people to um, pick the produce for people, the goods, the services, or just the goods really, and then you just deliver it to people. Um, and is that the whole like business process, or how does how does it exactly work? Yeah. So the concept is essentially is is that grocery commerce today can only do next day delivery, and it can it can't make profit. Mm. Um, the fa- vast majority of consumers are shifting to same day, and this is due to the education of like Uber, Deliveroo, Amazon, you know, resetting customer expectations as to what convenience is. And, you know, everyone wants it and they want it now. Um, the problem with the existing infrastructure is that, again, it's like the energy industry. It's very CapEx intensive. Retailers have to build warehouses. They have to buy vans. 
all to service this channel that doesn't make them any money. What we do is we sit as a platform, pure platform. We don't own any vans. We don't hold stock or warehouses. We sit as a platform and we network all of the existing infrastructure in the market. Right. So the way to, way to think about it is like AirGrid. AirGrid is the electricity grid operator for Ireland. They don't own the generators. They don't own the, the wires. They just optimize and manage the network. Um, and so what we do is we allow consumers to place orders on a consumer app, which allows them to uh, choose a retailer of their choice, fill their basket in place and choose a delivery slot. When they choose that delivery slot, that's fed into our algorithm, Jarvis. Jarvis will optimize and bundle and analyze the orders, uh, collect them into bundles uh, of complementary orders, and then send them to a personal shopper uh, to fulfill that order within a specific uh, space of time. 90% of our volume is, is done on the day. Uh, so you know, orders that are placed today will be fulfilled in 90% of the time today. Um, and so a shopper will accept the order. They'll use their own car, their own smartphone. They'll be routed to a store uh, based on the algorithm's you know, optimization. And they will pick, pack, and prepare the items on behalf of customers. They'll ring a customer if there's anything out of stock. Um, they'll do you know, really good substitutions to the customer's requests. And then once they're finished picking and paying, um, they'll be routed to the customer's location uh, to deliver. Wow, amazing. Yeah, it's such a convenient service. Like I've been getting Tesco delivery myself and... I'm surprised not not every single person is doing this because like it's so convenient in terms of time, in terms of everything. Obviously, buy me is so much better than Tesco, but um, yeah, I think that's that's unbelievable. Um, how did you yeah, actually? I, yeah, sorry, I think I, th- I think it's and it's different. I think it's it's important to note that it's uh, what's happening in the industry is that there's this resegmentation, hmm. and it's not it's not that Tesco is bad. It's just that next day delivery, the vast majority of people don't plan ahead. Mm. Ma- the vast majority. On, like next day delivery and online grocery is, is less than 3% of the market. Yeah. So most people shop ad hoc. Most people shop on the day. Mm. So, you know, I get up in the morning, you know, I get dressed, I go to work. And then at half four of the day, I realize, shit, I've nothing <laughs> in the fridge. Yeah. And my options are either I have to go to a grocery store and spend 45 minutes walking around deciding what I want, or I order takeaway. Nine times out of 10, they go for takeaway. Like the rise of hot food delivery has been enormous. And ultimately what's happened is that because of that lack of access and convenience and because these other convenient services are there, it's stealing share of stomach away from grocer, groceries, right? So what we've provided is an, a complementary layer. So people can still shop with Tesco for next day delivery. But if you want your delivery done today, if you want today and you want to do a big basket, we're the only platform that can do that. And so it's really just a different, it's a different channel. Um, and again, it's 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 complementary rather than competitive. And do you still provide it to like more rural areas and you know where it's more countryside? Um, is that so still to, available? Or yeah, so today we're we're primarily urban and suburban. Mm-hmm. And so for for our model to work, you need density of volume and density of orders because obviously you know, you have shoppers waiting around for orders, and if they're in a rural community, there might not be any orders for them, so they won't yeah. earn any income. And so for this to work, for the economics of this platform to work in this marketplace, you need to have uh, quite a significant level of volume and density. It's not that we couldn't have an offering. It's just that right now, urban and suburban is the, is the best position for us. And then we look to develop other offerings in the future that, that fit for the more rural areas. Yeah, that makes sense. And what does a typical day look like for you um, in terms of like, you know, when you come to the office or maybe your living room at this stage? Um, yeah, but what does it what does a typical day look like for you? Just to, you know, just to provide some context listeners of what it's actually like to be a CEO of a, of a company. Um, it's, a good, it's a good question. Days are very different. You know, right now it's 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 unusual because it's pretty much just Zoom calls uh, yeah. from morning, morning till night. 
Um, but if I was to, if I was to take the, 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 the physicality out of it, um, it's really just about connecting. And um, the, the job of a founder, a job of a CEO is to collect, connect with individuals, you know, far and wide and collect as much market intelligence as possible, both internal to your company and external to your industry. It's your job to synthesize that information and develop a clear, concise, commercial understanding and, and, and strategy, and then disseminate that to all of your stakeholders, be it your investors, your board, your staff, uh, your customers. That's the role of a founder. It's collecting, it's connecting, it's collecting the information, and then it's it's actually analyzing it. You are an analyst for ninety percent of the job. Um, if I split out in terms of skill sets, thirty percent salesperson, thirty percent accountant. 30% lawyer, um, 5% visionary, 5% chancer. That's, that's really, that's really the, the skill sets that you want to have if you, you know, to, for an early stage, you know, uh, startup as a, as a business becomes more, uh, advanced, mm-hmm. you know, that split will change, you know, and you'll become more financial, more accounting driven. If you look at the skill sets of many of the CEOs of top PLC companies, they're mostly accountants. And it's just about understanding and moving up resources. In the early days of building a business, though, it's a completely different skill set. Yeah. So, could we maybe talk about the initial stages of building a business? So, like, the, you know, the the first few weeks or the first year, even, because I feel like that's the hardest. That's when most people, you know, burn out and then then just um, fail along the way. So, yeah, what did that look like for you when you were just starting out? So. Um... So 2014, I left the energy markets, got a job in Salesforce. And through 2015, mm-hmm. I learned as much as I could about platform design, started building the prototype, pulled together a small founding team, um, validated the idea, did all our surveying and market research um, and raised 100,000 euros of capital, 25,000 friends and family money, wow. yeah. 20, 25,000 angel investor money uh-huh. and 50,000 from Enterprise Ireland. And that was enough money for me to quit my job. So I quit my job in February, February 2016. I became a grocery delivery person um, in February 2016. That was my job for, for 18 months. I became essentially a grocery delivery person. I did about 1,800 deliveries wow. um, over that time. You know, and really basically just spent my time learning the process of delivering groceries in an hour. How do you do it? And how do you not fuck it up? Like that's that was basically, you know, that what you need to do. And, and the early part of anyone building a business is that you have to take the time to do the work. You know, you have to, take, to understand the process from every angle, understand the challenges, build out the processes, think about how this is going to scale. Um, and it's an absolute grind. It is an absolute grind. Um, like I just, uh, I actually just, um, I, was, I was doing it, I was clearing out my office and uh, I haven't had this here. I was clearing out my office and I found all the receipts Oh my God. <laughs> From all the orders that I did back then. So like, it's just like reams of receipts from orders that I would have processed. And it's just like, when you look back at it, you're just like, Jesus Christ, this is like a, you know, the, there's nothing more kind of tangible in terms of the actual work that had to go in in the early days. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people romanticize the journey of building a business, you know? Um, and then when it doesn't work out for them in the first two weeks, they, they burn out, as you say. You know, um, realistically, it takes it takes a lot longer uh, in almost every circumstances, and you're almost guaranteed to fail. I think the average, I think the average attempt, the average success rate of attempts is seven. I think you have to do it seven times on average to succeed uh, in, in building a business. So 
you know, the sooner you start, the better your numbers are going to be. Hmm. And when you were delivering these, um, you know, when you were delivering groceries, um, did you do this under buy me so people, people, um, well, ordered through buy me and then you picked it up yourself and you delivered it? Just to understand the process. Is that is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we, we created a consumer app to begin with um, mm-hmm. and a very, very basic shopper interface. So when a customer placed an order, I'd get a little text message on my mm. phone. And no matter what time of the day an order came in, no way. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take it. So if and we were operating nine till 10, Monday to Sunday. Wow. So if at any time during the day an order came in, I could be sitting down for dinner. I could be sitting in a movie theater. If an order came in, I had to get up and leave. Um, and I did, and it happened, happened countless times where I'd be like, hopefully, hopefully I won't get an order because I'm in the, in the movie and <laughs> I would have to get up and leave the cinema and go and do a, a grocery order because I couldn't afford to let those customers down. If they place an order, they place an order. But in those early days, we might've been getting one, maybe three orders a day, you know, so they, it was very sporadic. Um, and so, yeah, I spent the first year and a half, uh, just doing the job, just taking those orders and, and fulfilling them on behalf of customers while handling customer service. You know, I came up with this concept, what I call the, the Wizard of Oz approach, which is, you know, when you're building a business, particularly a consumer business, and even and to be honest, any business really, you need to be able to put forward a very professional image of trust so people can trust that they're going to spend money with you. Um, and, you know, we're an unknown brand doing unknown stuff. So we had to hope people would give us their credit card details and put them into the app, you know, um, and and we made sure that the, the, the app on the front looked very professional. Mm. It looked, I mean... I know for a fact customers thought we were like just eat, you know. But they, they all. And this is the this is the Wizard of Oz piece. Is that all they need to know or hear is the big booming voice, right? They don't need to know that you're behind the curtain, pulling all the strings, trying to make it all work. So, you know, when I do an order, uh, and in, on the times where I screwed it up, and I I often did, um, you know, I'd hand over the groceries and say, Dom, here you go. Here's your grocery order. Uh, thanks so much for using the service. Hope you hope you enjoyed it. And I'd go back to my car. By the time I got back to my car, you've opened up your bag and you've seen that I've broken your one of your eggs. And you get onto customer service straight away and you send a message. This stupid service. I'll never use it again. Your stupid shopper broke my eggs. And I'm in the car getting your message. And I would respond as James from customer service. I'd say, Dom, I'm so sorry. This is James from customer service. Um, you know, this is certainly uh, not acceptable. We're going to have our shopper uh, go and pick up the a fresh pack of eggs for you immediately. He'll be with you in 10 minutes. And then I'd run to the store, get the eggs, and come back and I'd knock on your door. Dom, I'm so sorry. James wow. from customer service was in touch. Um, here's your packet of eggs. And you're going, wow, yeah. these guys have their yeah. shit together. That's connected. They're really connected, right? And that customer service is, is epic. And you walk away going, wow, I'll definitely use that service again. That was amazing. You know, um, they didn't need to know that James and Devin were the same person. <laughs> so that's that's the approach that you need to take um, in the early days. You need to make sure that you know your customers just feel the service and they have a great time. They don't need to know uh, how or what had to happen to get it there. Yeah. Well, what I love about that story is that you know you really got down and dirty for the 18 months you were doing and like you were literally like in the cinema and if people got an order you literally left and bought them the delivery service um, yeah. so i think that's incredible just the humbleness to do that um i think that's really really cool um, yeah and, and to be honest i i loved it like i mean yeah. it was tough it was really tough but when i look back and i have so many pictures of of, of those times like you know they are the memories that you're gonna have mm. like you you can like and when we sit here today like even being able to just you know, reminisce about those days and say, yeah, I fucking did that. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. like that, that is the stuff that they, we will stand to you 
win or lose, win or lose, that that effort, that work, um, will will be a testament to how how much you care and and how driven you are. Um, and so yeah, it, it's tough and it's grueling. Um, but you'll always look back and it's like going to the gym, you know, you you don't like the idea of it, but when you've done it, you're like, oh, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, you're you feel like, better about yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. and then I, I love what you said there with the customer as well like you have to please the customers you know that's the most important part and then once you get that right obsessed. everything else will just you know um, yeah. follow through absolutely you have to be completely obsessed and you know in the early days you should be investing disproportionately in customer experience you should be investing uncommercially in customer experience profit is not your goal in the early stages of business you're just trying to get them to come back to give you a second chance because you're never going to be profitable on the first transaction. You're never going to be profitable in the second transaction. What you need is you need customers to come back enough so that you can optimize all of your processes to find out how you get profitable. Mm. And so retention is your most important KPI, not nothing else. Um, and with that, you should invest disproportionately. Like I, I, the amount of time I spent and the amount of money and vouchers I gave away in the early days was and um, like there was definitely i'd say no i'm saying i'd say i'm probably still paying for some of those customers that are, that are that are with us today you know and we have customers that shopped with us in 2016 and still shop with us today on a weekly basis wow. um, and it's because of you know the amount of time and effort that went into those customers and um, means that they'll be with us for life mm. and if we could loop back to 2014 which is when you started essentially and then you brought it to the market in 2016 if we could go back to the very very start of your career with buy me um what advice would you give to yourself um just from the lessons you've learned along the way from the mistakes you've made um what advice would you give to a younger self it's interesting you know because i'm a firm believer that naivety is a one of the most essential ingredients to actually succeeding i think if i had told myself how difficult it really was going to be you wouldn't do it i don't know if i would have done it yeah um and the like i mean it was it was really really difficult like five weeks after we launched we had one of the largest retailers in the country trying to sue us and shut us down. Wow, really? Um, wow. Yeah, like, completely caught me off guard. Um, I did not anticipate a negative response from the retail industry, but we were mistakenly perceived as disruptors rather than allies. Um, and yeah, within five weeks, I got a, I got a cease and desist letter. Uh, five weeks after quitting my job to do this business, I got a cease and desist letter from a billion-dollar organization uh, threatening to, to take out an injunction if I didn't oh shut the business down. Oh, dear, indeed. Um, but looking back, I suppose 2016 or sorry, yeah, 2016, I would probably tell my, tell my, myself <laughs> that it's going to take you a little bit longer to, to raise capital. <laughs> okay. it, I, I thought I'd be able to raise a million euros of seed money in 12 months. So I raised a hundred thousand euros. I made a budget and I had 12 months of runway. I was able to extend that by 16 months um, because we were making money from day one. But it took me two years to raise 850,000 euros. And that was uh, unprecedented. And so I nearly, I, well, I did, I ran out of money uh, twice. So I ran out of money in June, 2017. The first hundred grand was gone. And the only reason we managed to survive was that Unilever, uh, one of the largest CPGs in the world, stepped in and acquired a stake in the business because they thought we were doing some interesting work. And that kept us going. Um, and then I ran, ran out of money in October, 2018, a month before we closed our 850k seed round um, and I had to get a loan from you know, two investors that were kind of interested. I got a 30 grand loan from two investors that were, were interested in doing the deal, but I had to get a bigger round together. So mm-hmm. they gave me 30 grand 
that kept us going. And then we closed uh, 850K then a month or two later. Wow, no, that's, yeah, just adversity, like, Jesus, um, really takes a lot. And, you yeah. know, like I said previously, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of people want to do kind of what you do, you know, set up your own business and develop, uh, blah, blah, blah. But um, how do you know if it's for you? How do you know if entrepreneurship is for you? Um, like, what's the shit sandwich about it, I guess? Um, what are the difficulties that are part of the part of the job, but you just have to do? So... Um, like it's funny I'm not a militant entrepreneur mm-hmm. right I have friends that are militant about their entrepreneurial tendencies they'll never work for for somebody else they could never work a day, a day job or for a corporate I'm actually mm-hmm. not like that I, mm-hmm. I like working for great companies I like selling great products and I like you know I like engaging and 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 working on on really really interesting challenges but so with that you know I think entrepreneurialism is 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 an experience like you like university mm. i think everyone should try it everyone should go and experience it mm. it's not something you need to do for life um but it's something that you should definitely try and do and it, it's also like anything it's mostly muscle memory you know the first time you lift a, a, a bench press a, a weight the first time you pick up a flute you know it's not going to be easy it's going to be hard it's going to be embarrassing and people will pro- some people will probably tell you to stop right but it's just repetition the more you try the more you keep giving it a go the better you get at it, you know, and that is, that is absolutely a, a, a fundamental factor. And I think that's important for people to, to understand. So the earlier you start, the better, really. I think one of the biggest advantages I had was that I started when I was 20, you know, and, and I managed to really make off all of my mistakes in the early days. Um, and I got to make the most out of my late twenties, you know, with buy me. And I think that's, that has been something that I've just, I feel very fortunate that I, that I made those decisions early on in life. Um, but there's no, bad time to start that's the other thing you know you'll you'll have to start differently for sure if you've got kids and a mortgage you're not going to be doing it the way i did it mm. you know sleeping on friends couches like you know saving money you know not paying rent and all the, all the rest but there are certainly ways in which you can go about starting a business and if you're and in some ways easier when you're an experienced professional but ask for help ask for help find people to work on the project which you don't try and do it by yourself get people involved and then reach out to other entrepreneurs who are a little bit further down the road than you are mm. ask, and ask them to point you in the right direction because you know, the road to success is long it's winding and it's got very little signage. And the only way to get where you want to go is to ask for directions. And the vast majority of people like they do in a car, do not stop and ask for directions. And they end up just going in circles until they give up because they feel like they can't get to where they want to go. So you kind of be vulnerable, I guess, and admit that you don't know what's going on sometimes and don't be afraid to ask for help because... Yeah, like don't yeah. be afraid to ask the stupid question. Yeah. I, t- to this day, when I sit in meetings and I'm blessed to, to often find myself sitting in a room with people way smarter than me. Mm. And I always think to myself, you know, what would be the question? What's the thing that I don't understand here that I feel embarrassed about asking? And then I make sure I ask that question, you know, because that's, that's, that's the whole point. And nine times out of 10, it's in your head that you are embarrassed about it. Most people go, Oh, that's fine. And they'll answer the question for you. Loads of people walk away from, from opportunities where they could have asked a question. They don't. And they just walk away, not knowing. Yeah. It's very common. I think actually. Yeah. No. Yeah. So true. Like, cause sometimes you do have a question. Um, you're too afraid to ask it, but then maybe, 
few years down the road you're still going to have the same question so you might as well just ask now and you're going to be like five years ahead you know yeah, so i think that's really, absolutely. really cool. yeah yeah that's a great way to look at it because i think richard feynman and like richard feynman is a very smart, smart guy um and like he was saying in in one of the books like he wasn't afraid to ask stupid questions even though Who's richard feynman? a physicist um right um, and he just he wasn't afraid to ask questions even though they were stupid and you know i think i i i think that's yeah that's exactly what you said there as well yeah and what have been your kind of most memorable business experiences like what has been like the, your favorite part of what you've done so far has there ever been oh. like a moment they were like wow i can't believe i'm doing this wow i can't believe i'm actually doing this this is so cool like did you have any of these experiences I've had loads. I've had loads. Yeah, Jesus. Like, I mean, the the thing about starting a business is is that it's like the best drug you'll ever do. Like, the highs are euphoric, and there's many of them. Mm. And the low, the lows are crippling, and there's many of those too. Um, but there's been so many times where I've I've really felt just very fortunate, you know. Um, you know, like this year is a perfect example. I mean, this year we're having a, a pretty, pretty crazy year. Um, obviously COVID and all of that stuff happened. Um, you know, we raised eight and a half million euros, um, you know, to have that deal close and for it to be announced in the market um, was really a, a, an experience, like a real long-term dream kind of coming true. Um, you know, we, I was shortlisted for Ernest and Young's Entrepreneur of the Year award. Actually, I was just on the the, the meet and greet just before this call, <laughs> wow. uh, which is which is why I had to push our, our session <laughs> thirty minutes. Um, like again, that's that's that is amazing. Like I remember when I was selling golf trolleys, um, I remember being in, invited by pure chance to Ernest and Young's Entrepreneur of the Year award reception, um, where I where Joe Hogan actually. Uh, one of the co-founders, OpenNet, one of the biggest businesses in Ireland, was uh, had had won that year, and he was giving a, an opening talk to all these entrepreneurs. And I was in the, in the state. I now know Joe personally. Wow! I've, and and I've, I've met I've met Joe, like Joe has mentored me probably four or five times. Um, you know, he's been a tremendous tremendous advisor. Um, I've gotten to know him just through the entrepreneurial community, um, and then and then this year I've now I've now actually been listed as a finalist and so now i'm in this kind of little cohort with him like that for me is massively meaningful you know because i attach it back to those early stage memories that i have of where i was maybe you know dreaming or daydreaming about achieving something and then you know 10 15 years later to to have managed to tick that box is is uh, is really really exciting yeah that's incredible wow and I've read before that maybe it was you or someone else stated that the uh, you know online grocery business will be fifty six billion by twenty twenty three. I think, yeah, um, in Europe. In Europe, yeah. So, like, what other trends do you see in in that in that industry? Like, what other like opportunities are there within the industry? Because the market is huge. So, I'm just curious to know, like, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Like, you know, I've spent the vast majority of my time really thinking about last mile and grocery FMCG. Um, the, the whole sector is resegmentation, resegmenting. Um, so you're seeing like the rise of meal kit deliveries. So like Gusto in the UK is just a rapidly growing meal kit delivery company. I think they've just been valued at half a billion um, uh, in the last you know, six months or so. Um, you're, gonna, you're seeing a lot of consolidation in the market between the likes of the hot food deliveries. So Just Eat has merged with Takeaway.com. They've just done a de- big deal to buy Grubhub in the US. So there's lots of movement at a very, you know, very giant corporate level uh, which is going to have implications for the industry amazon is trying to buy deliveroo 
Um, so there's just a, a, a massive amount of, of, of things moving in this space. And what's very interesting about grocery is that it's predominantly an enterprise uh, market. Um, like 99% of the grocery volume in Ireland, UK goes through multi-billion pound retailers, mm. not small and medium-sized enterprises, right? And so when you're working in the space, you're, mo- you're mainly going to be working with enterprise corporations, big, big businesses, um, the likes of the Unilevers, the Coca-Colas of this world, you know, the Sainsbury's, the Tesco's, the Lidl's. Um, and so building a business in this space, you need to get very comfortable working with large enterprise. You really need to understand corporate um, characteristics, you know, because the, the challenge of matching a, an entrepreneurial um, timeline and milestone uh, calendar with a corporate mentality is very difficult because corporations are like immortals. So they do everything slower because they're not, they have no, there's literally no timeline to their existence, right? They're profitable. They're enormous. They've already got market share. They can afford to move at a glacial pace. As a startup, you have 12 months, if you're lucky, of cash and you need to achieve a certain level of milestones to either get profitable or be able to raise capital to keep building. And so it's, it's very important that you understand the types of business that you're dealing with. And then I suppose in terms of, you know, opportunities, um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I've spent a huge amount of time thinking about new, new ideas, if I'm very honest. Um, you know, I think there's a lot, we've recognized a lot of inefficiencies in our sector. I think one that I'm interested in is stock management systems for small and medium sized retailers. I tried to take, you know, butchers off licenses, small grocers. I tried to take them online in 2016 on the platform. And I realized two things. One, they don't have enough volume to really support this type of platform in the early days. And two, their stock management systems are god awful. Most of the time, they have no idea what's on their shelves. And so I think someone who was to develop a really, really effective, low cost, you know, an accurate stock management system for the small and medium sized retail market could be, you know, could find themselves in a, in a, in a, in a good space. Now, it's competitive. There's lots of product management systems out there. Uh, but from what I saw, a lot of the small and medium-sized enterprise guys were struggling uh, to to really stay on top of that. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I never thought about that as well, the stock management systems, because it's true, yeah. Um, it would be very, yeah, for sure. Well, I know um, I could talk about these things for literally hours, and I am conscious of your time. So I'm just going to ask you some rapid-fire questions, and then we can just close off the podcast. Sure. So I guess if there was a billboard and on this billboard you could display any message you want, uh, a non-commercial message, um, and this billboard is displayed to millions and billions of people. So anyone in the whole world can see this billboard. Um, what would your message be? What would you put up there? If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I like it. Um <laughs> Uh, what's the best investment you ever made? Um, this investment might be time, it might be energy, it might be money. Just in terms of just whatever comes to mind, what's the best investment you ever made? Um, starting my first business. Mm-hmm. I lost seven or eight grand, um, but it was 100. It was like doing a master's in entrepreneurship without going to university, actually doing it in real life. Um, so 100% starting my very first business. Mm. What is something that you believe that other people consider crazy? Something I believe that other people consider crazy. Um, 
Oh God, that's a tough question. That is a tough question. Uh, I believe I can achieve pretty much anything I put my mind to. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes to a point where it's, it's, it's somewhat absurd. Um, and that's part of that naivety. I think that, you know, when you're young, you really do believe you're going to, you can do anything. Um, and I like to think that I've really held on to that and kind of nurtured it and watered it um, and kept that absurd naivety um, uh, for as long as I possibly can. Um, and, and to that end, feeling like I can achieve and do anything if I really want to, uh, when lots of people, one, will think you're crazy for thinking that, or two, would feel crazy to think that about themselves. Mm. I like it. Um, when you feel overwhelmed or perhaps unfocused in general, um, how do you tend to deal with that? Uh, what do you normally do in these situations? Uh, two things. I reach out to my friends, um, you know, my, my, my the people closest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have my wife, Laise, um, and my friend, Garrett. They'd be my two kind of go-to people when I'm feeling overwhelmed with, with work. Um, second is I go to the gym. I go and exercise. Um, if I'm feeling anxious, nervous, uh, yeah, all, all of the above. Um, and it's something you will regularly feel as an entrepreneur, as a human, and, and in an entrepreneurial environment, it's somewhat amplified um, because of the uncertainty that comes with the with the journey, particularly in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise, physical exercise is just, it's key. Mm. Um, and over the last, like I found myself, you know, three years into Buy Me, I'd put on a shitload of weight. Um, I had some really, really unhealthy habits. Mm. Um, and in the last 18 months or so, um, I managed to really program myself into exercise far more. I, I was getting into the gym three times a week before COVID. Um, and I actually found it became, it became a terrific stress management tool. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, just two more questions for you. So what have been the most gifted or recommended books? Um, do any books come to mind? So books that you gifted most to other people or perhaps recommend the most? Yeah, so two, two books that I really enjoyed. Um, How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it sounds like a, a self-help book but actually it's a, an autobiography um, by about Felix Dennis who uh, written by Felix Dennis actually who was um, worth the best part of a billion pounds uh, and one of the biggest publishing uh, entrepreneurs of the 70s and 80s um, but he was also a high functioning crack addict <laughs> and uh, he writes the most spectacular experience that he had as an entrepreneur through, throughout the 70s and 80s um, but it's a very inward look at the journey of being an entrepreneur. And I think it challenges people to think a lot. He says some absolutely outrageous shit. I wouldn't agree with all of it, but it's uh, it's certainly an interesting read for anyone to be entrepreneur. Um, and then the second would be from a more practical, actually I have two probably that I would share the, the second spot with. One, uh, zero, uh, zero to One by Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. Terrific book about you know what it means to build a great company. Um, you know, One of the things that I've taken most out of that is that every great company is a conspiracy to change the world. And you should tell people about your business as if it's a secret. And it's a secret that you're going to go out and do this. And when you tell them that secret, you turn them into co-conspirators. And that has been something that I have adopted into my daily. Everyone I talk to about my business, I'm trying to turn them into a co-conspirator. Um, and so that I think that book is a, is a really great read for anyone in the early early stages of trying to think about what it means to build a business. And the second, uh, the, the other one that I would, I would mention is for anyone interested in a digital platform business, uh, Modern Monopolies, How to Dominate in the 21st Century is an absolutely terrific read, um, full of case studies on why Nokia 
was beaten out by BlackBerry and why BlackBerry completely dropped the ball and got overtaken by Android and and uh, and Apple. Like the case studies of why these businesses lost and why these businesses won, um, and all about what kind of what the meaning of platform is and what it means to be to be one. So great book. Yes, I'll definitely link these in the show notes, um, chasingpassionpodcast.com. And the final question for you is, what is your definition of chasing passion? Um, my definition of chasing passion. Ooh, that's a good, that's another good one. Feel like i need a bit of time to think about that one and say the definition of chasing passion um it's a it's a willingness to go after what you want um regardless of any obstacle or preconception that you might have uh in front of you and it's really just a willingness to completely see through and see past anything that can stop and you from getting to where you want to go um recognizing that every question that's posed to you that you don't have an answer to is the opportunity to go away, learn the answer and never have to worry about that question being asked again. Love it. Um, yeah, Devin, it was a pleasure, but just before we finish up, um, where can people find you? Where's a good place to go to learn more about what you do, what you're up to? Yeah. Where should people follow you sure um so they can my handle for instagram and twitter is the same it's devin hughes and um, they can find me on linkedin fairly easily and uh the company website is www.buyme.eu or .ie awesome and uh, just before we finish up is there anything else you want to say anything else you want to mention anything at all that comes to mind no not particularly um you know thank you very much for having me on um i've listened to a couple of your episodes they're really 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 good you've got, you've got some terrific people on um and yeah thank you for for chasing me and, and really taking the time to invite me on yeah thank you so much cheers Tom. thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and i really hope you enjoyed it you can find all the show notes on the website chasingpassionpodcast.com just before we finish up would you consider leaving a short review on app podcast this will take less than 60 seconds and it'll help me out so much. You can find a link for Apple Podcasts in the episode description or just search Chasing Passion on Apple Podcasts and you'll find it right there. If you do enjoy the podcast, give it a share. Tell your friends. It will be super, super helpful. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.